0: Hello and welcome to Horse World Connect. This is Lola Michelin. I'm your host on In the Ioways. And today, I am very happy to be talking with Shelley Ingram, to be talking to you today about something you're very passionate about, and that is helping horse owners and horse people um, in regards to pasture management, something we don't always think about on a day-to-day basis as horse owners, but um, something that plays a big part of our um, life as horse owners. So I'm curious, to start us off, what do you think are the three biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to managing pasture for horses? Um, well, thanks. Well, I'm really glad to be here. I would say, uh, I don't want to be like a horse trainer that I used to work for in LA who used to say, of horses have th- three problems. They don't go forward, they don't go forward, and they don't go forward. But <laughs> Um, (laughs) I think that um, the biggest problem is that people tend to have too many horses for the amount of acreage they have. And not only that, but they tend to, um, if they do try to plant some kind of pasture, they tend to uh, put the horses on the newly planted pasture too early. So those two things together are sort of setting yourself up for disaster. And then the third thing I think that most people run into is they tend to not really do a lot of research on what kind of grass they should be planting, Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of mix. So they'll go down to the feed store and buy a mix, which is usually loaded with um, grasses that grow easily on the East Coast like Timothy and um, Kentucky bluegrass and those kind of things don't do really well in the West. <laughs> and um, and then when the pasture fails, they get discouraged and just give up. So I would say it's a, a combination of not picking the right grass, putting the horses on too soon and having too many horses on that pasture when you do put them on there. Well, I can tell you, I am guilty of all three of those <laughs> at a different time. Also, I made uh, the mistake uh, in at least one area on our property, of going like primarily with one type of grass and not having a mix that would really help me with kind of maintaining the soil and providing some some thatching and 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 whatnot. But um, but it, as 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 often as the case, we learn from our mistakes, and I'm <laughs> really excited to learn more uh, from you because my pastures can use all the help that they can get, um, especially going into fall and winter yeah. when. Maybe I'm not thinking about it as much, but there are certainly things that I can be doing to prepare for the following spring, so. That's, a, that's another big factor that I think horse people tend to forget is, you know, most horse people are not farmers. Some are, mm-hmm. and, um, and they don't think in the long-term way that a farmer has to think. You don't think about, oh, it's coming up on the fall, maybe I should seed now for the spring. You know and and it really depends on what part of the country you're in because i know when i i worked in maryland for many years um for several years and um it was a completely different you know when i got there i i my first question was well, what kind of irrigation do you have and they all looked at me like i was crazy because like we don't irrigate you know and i'm like what <laughs> so it was um And definitely different grasses, you know, and I I used to show saddlebred horses and so a lot of my friends were in Kentucky and they never could understand why in the West we just didn't have grass, you know, that we had to mow and that, you know, what was the problem and why did we have this funny Bermuda grass and, you know, so it really is very, you have to know where you're living, how much rainfall you get, what kind of soil you have is extremely important. And there's a lot of tools online that you can use to find out um, exactly what your soil is on your property. And that's really helpful. Yeah, I have to say one of the things uh, I was thrilled about when we first purchased our property is we are fortunate to have a great conservation district in our county, and I know different areas have different extension offices or conservation districts, and some have very little in terms of those resources, but we were lucky enough to have, the previous owners had put a farm plan in place and the conservation district came out and did a soil sampling and gave us, you know, information about our soil and also did give us a a pasture management plan that, um, you know. um, I, I used to be married to an extension agent Mm-hmm. And we used to say that extension was the best kept secret in America <laughs> because True. if you mention it to people that didn't grow up in the country, they've never heard of it. And almost uh, every county, they may have a co-agent with another county, but every county in America has some form of extension. Right. And they're really, really helpful. And um, soil conservation districts, I worked for the Montgomery Soil Conservation District in Maryland. and. And I was an equine specialist because there are a lot of horses in that area. And to have a conservation plan of your farm is really helpful because it gives you an overhead map. It gives you an idea of what you wanna do. And sometimes in, in the districts, there are um, you know, funding sources available for things that people don't think of. Like um, there was a program for a while for bee pollinating. And so you could get paid to plant around your pastures, um, you know, the plants that would help the bees. Right. Um, you mentioned that you know your specialty is a is as an equine soil conservationist, uh, and soil conservation is is a big. Field in and of its own. So, what's the pathway to becoming an equine specialist, like um, from an education and, and work experience standpoint? How did I don't know if there's a pathway to it, um, but I my father was a horse trainer, and I grew up in Marin County, California, which is the county just north of the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, and a lot of people now would go really, but when I grew up there, it was probably 80% dairy farms, 10% horse farms. Wow. And, and it was like, lit, the entire county was like living in a small town. And um, so, but my father uh, retrained spoiled horses, horses that other people couldn't do anything with. And then we would show them again. And I was the one that got to show them the first time. <laughs> so, um, I started riding when I was really young and worked with him a lot. And then, um, and he, I have to say, was probably the worst pasture manager I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) He had that, he was from North Dakota originally, but he had that very, um, we were in Northern California, but he had a Southern California attitude to horse pasture, which is dirt's good enough. (laughs) <laughs> and we can buy hay, you know. So um, I did not grow up thinking about pastures at all. And then I worked for several horse trainers, and then I eventually had my own barn. And I trained um, primarily saddlebreds and uh, Arabians, half Arabians, and I taught a lot of amateurs in saddle seed deprecation. Uh, so it's not what people think of when they think of somebody who's really involved with the dirt. (laughs) But um, uh, when I was first married, we bought a property in Grass Valley, California. And luckily, my ex-husband is a very good extension agent. And he managed to find one of the 11 acre pieces that actually had good soil. And then at the time, this was 20 years ago, so he, uh, he came home and said, oh, I just read about this thing. It's called rotational grazing, and we're going to do it. And I'm like, oh, OK, that means I'm going to do it because he's <laughs> at work all the time. So, so we started with, we had a rectangular 11-acre piece, and we started with one roll of one-inch electric tape and I think it was 10 fiberglass poles and we would divide this pasture and then move the horses down and put another, set the poles again and then they would stay there for two days and then we would move. And then we moved, we had sectioned it off into like four sections and we would just rotate them through. Mm -hmm. And at one point I had to actually go out and get, and it was irrigated, so that helped. um, I had to go out and get horses. Oh. My friends to put on this pasture because it produced so much grass mm-hmm. and yeah it was great and we had um sacrifice areas that you talked about which are areas that are you know usually sand or dirt where you can put your horses in the wet weather to keep them off the pastures and or if you've seeded or you know this kind of thing but um so it really made a believer out of me and he actually uh, my ex-husband's name is Roger Ingram and he's a pretty well-known uh, cattle grazing specialist. So, um, so, but it's a different, it's very different. And I think you have to know horses mm-hmm. to try to understand what people are, are wanting to achieve. In um, cattle and livestock grazing, you're trying to get those animals to gain weight as much as you can and as fast as you can. And horse people are generally trying to do the opposite. <laughs> you know, some people use it as a forage source, as a food source. Most people, I think, that have show horses, it's more like a recreation area for their horses. Okay, and, yeah, that, that seems to be the, when I even think about my own horses, some of them, I, I, I'm not concerned about them grazing or I'm even trying to limit their intake because of their age and weight but it's their main form of exercise. I run a retirement and rehabilitation facility. So yeah, uh, they're not in work. So getting out is their biggest activity and I'm actually creating like games and things for them to do in their pasture so that they will walk from one end to the other or have to go places to find things. Um, Yeah, that's a very important, um, really important that a lot of people don't understand I don't think they understand it about themselves. You know, they don't understand that they have to keep moving. (laughs) And and for horses, it's very important. One of the things we did in Maryland is there's a concept called the Paradise Paddock, which is basically a track that runs around Mm -hmm. two or four or whatever paddocks. And we we took that concept and sort of modified it. And um, we did a lot of pilot not a lot. We did three pilots um, using that example, and it's a really great way to utilize a small property mm-hmm. and keep your horses moving and be able to rot- they rotate them off pasture to Very let it. it grow. I've learned the hard way that you know, without a good bedrock in your you know pasture, you will also run the risk of you know mud being a bigger problem and the horses just the compaction from the horses running around and the danger to them of running on ground that maybe isn't you know supporting enough grass to make it a safe environment maybe people don't think of those types of things when they're making a plan for their hatchery. I think yeah I think a lot of people um just don't understand all the elements that go into it and you do have to you have to know your soil you have to know where you're planting and it, it is it's my, uh, it it's not hard it's more time consuming right. than going to the feed store and buying a of hey it is i mean and you and you have to kind of resign yourself to that and i have to tell you i am not a, a well my ex-husband used to call me the holocaust gardener so <laughs> tell you that I am not really a plant person and so it was it you know if I can learn how to sort of judge grass and how much water and what kind of grass and okay now it's too long it's too short I mean there's lots of ways that you can um tell okay yeah this is tall enough for my horses to be on here oh I need to mow there's other things you can do and and there's all kind like everything in the horse business there's all kinds of different opinions right. so there's the drag the pasture school there's don't drag the pasture school there's you know mow there's don't mow so it's all you just have to like everything you have to take what works for you and and use that and try things and just be willing to try it and but you do have to think of yourself like a grass farmer. It, it really helps <laughs> for your land, for sure.
1: Um, yeah.
0: That's kind of one of the neat things that you provide people is your expertise in helping them devise a plan for their unique situation, whether it's because they're on a unique piece of land or they have unique needs for their horses. Um, so I'm looking forward to introducing people to your system of of being able to help them devise a plan and go through the cycles of the year that they need in order to really, to really be a good grass farmer. Um, And I'm excited to bring uh, you back into the blogosphere in that (laughs) that fashion to help kind of walk us through uh, a period of time with recovering or redesigning a specific property. So we'll have that to look forward to. I do want to, um, ask you in light of uh, the recent things we're seeing with climate change with, you know, right now we're in this major fire episode through the West coast and, and probably going to be looking forward to a future of more types of kind of cataclysmic events, um, of this nature. So, um, what do you, What are your thoughts on how that's gonna change the future of of horse keeping? Well, I'm hoping um, in Maryland, when I was there, we saw a real um, movement in the horse people. They were very well educated people. They were in a higher income bracket and they were very interested in the environmental impact of what they did. So that was helpful. Because um, you could talk to them, and it wasn't just about you know producing enough grass that I don't have to feed so it cost me less. They were willing to put in the time to um, to create a good pasture because they are discovering now that you know pastures are really, really great for carbon sequestration. So it's like a forest. it, it will take the carbon and hold it in your. And also, it you know, it's helpful if you got irrigated pasture, it's going to prevent some of the fire, not all of it. Um, some of it, I think, I, I'm hoping that in the future, more people will will realize that even if they have a small acreage, they can do something with it other than just let it become dirt. And in that way, you know, help the, help reduce the carbon and and help with climate change um, but it's just going to take i think people really wanting to do it well i, I and i'm sure in maryland because it's prime <laughs> country, um, yes. like today when horse people feel that their opportunities for their equestrian recreation are threatened they do definitely get loud and busy about protecting not just their backyard, but the places where they like to recreate with their horses, compete in all different disciplines, so uh, we have an equestrian park, so it's a very active equestrian community, and I know that anytime there's something that threatens the health of the natural environment here, it's often the equestrian community that really gets, gets involved. Well, I think there's a lot of really good organizations like that, you know, there's a trail organization that's a national um, group and I think that the more people become aware of that there are these soil conservation districts there are help there is help for them out there um, and that you can all work as a group I, I have to say it's kind of sad here in California because compared to what it was like when I was younger you um, the equestrian element is really getting smaller and smaller mm-hmm. and we've seen we've seen that with some of the bridal paths some of the you know rideaways um that was one thing in Maryland and Virginia you know they're mm-hmm. <laughs> they're there and they'll just jump right over whatever you put up so it doesn't matter <laughs> but, um, but here I, there definitely is a difference and we've seen some of that some of that disappear um, whether now with all the fires and people, you know, leaving California, that's going to open back up again. I don't know, but I, I hope so. In closing, um, I would, I'd just like to ask what you think. So it's, it's September here in Seattle and everybody's, you know, nationwide moving into fall. What's one thing that you would recommend people think about doing this time of year in order to prepare for months ahead? Well, I think if you're, the first thing you need to do ever is do a soils test. So you know where your soils are right now. And then if you can, after you get the soils test and you can you know, move towards anything, you could do a little bit of seeding because then that's gonna get in there and start to germinate before it gets too cold up there, if you're in Montana, it's already too late, but (laughs) um, because you can do fall seeding and sometimes that works better for horse people because they're keeping their horses off of the fields over the winter, but it all depends on your climate. But the first step I would say is to get a soils test, which you can usually get from your conservation district or your extension agent. Um, And then, you know, think about a plan. And then uh, you'll be ready. Winter is a great time, like I know that's when I start planning my garden because I can sit with exactly the and think about what uh, and hope for spring. So probably winter is also a really good time to get in touch with someone who can help you put a plan together. Someone like yourself who can yeah. have the unique challenges you might be facing. And because help you, you and the, the best thing to do is you know get a soils test um, and then you can kind of see what you need fertilizer-wise and then you can, and really think about what you're trying to do, you know, when you're making a plan. Don't don't make it because you think that's what you think you should be doing, <laughs> but make it so, and it's like I, I used to say, I worked for a lot of horse farms and I could always tell the ones that were designed by the people that worked them Versus designed by somebody who had a piece of paper and threw it all out. Because, um, you know, when you work somewhere, you know where the water paths are. And, and that was something I was really amazed. And that's another good thing. If you're starting to make a plan and you have the time, you know, in the winter, take pictures or make a map and say, oh, yeah, that, that water flows through here in the wintertime so that when you go to set up your pastures, you're not gonna put, which I've seen a lot of, you're not gonna put the gate right where the water flows. (laughs) And, um, you know, I think winter is the time to make a plan. And if if you get that soils test, you know what you're looking at, and then you can look at all the different fields, you can find out what soil is in what field, what you can do with it, and then you're, you know, fairly ready to go. And the other thing that I think people have to remember is it is a long-term thing and you don't, you know, if you have six pastures, you don't have to redo them all mm. at the same time. You can do one, see how it works, you know, then try something different or do the same thing or, you know, and, and just give yourself a little bit of a break. <laughs> well, i would just want to thank you for taking time today to talk with us and i think it's such an important subject and i really look forward to hearing more about it from you so um, with that uh, anything that you would like to leave our listeners with that we did no i think that's it thanks very much my pleasure thanks for listening and uh we'll see you again on in the iowa at horseworld connect